Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on when you're listening to this. This is Solid Steps Radio. I am Chad Russell, the co-host, along with Kurt Souter, my other co-host, or the other co-host from Furtherstone Ministries. How are you doing today, Kurt? Morning, Chad. Hey, I'm doing fantastic. Good. And uh, it's good to be live, good to be vertical. Yes, it is. And uh, if you're just joining us for the very first time, we are a show for men, by men, talking about things from a guy's perspective. Uh, We have all kinds of different topics that we have covered that we think pertain to or directly uh, to the perspective of men. But, of course, ladies listen to and we're thankful for that. But today's topic reminded me of a story. We're all uh, about stories, bro. Well, we are, but it remind, I don't know. It's not really a story. It's, it's a teaching, a parable, I guess you will, from Zig Ziglar, which Zig is near and dear to my heart. On podcast number 86, episode 86, we talk about the story about my father and Zig had a uh, better part of a day together and was very instrumental in my dad walking with God. And I'm sitting here today because of some influence that Zig Ziglar had in my father's life directly, which was, a, again, a cool show, number 86. But Zig tells this story about how a baby giraffe, when born in the wild, falls about five to six feet from the mama and goes goes kerplump on the ground, right? And then when the baby giraffe struggles to get up, the mama giraffe will nudge or maybe even kick the baby giraffe back to the ground Hmm. and will continue to do this until the giraffe is able to get up. Now, to the casual observer or maybe even to the baby giraffe, they're probably thinking, what in the world is going on? What's her problem? Well, the truth is the mama giraffe is helping the baby giraffe get up on its feet to get out and haul tail out of here if a lion or tiger or bear or whatever is out in the, ju- <laughs> in the there's jungle. No, I don't think there's any bears out yeah, yeah, there. Yeah, I got it mixed up with another thing. But anyway, so that's for the benefit of the baby giraffe to get out of there quickly because if a lion comes after them, they got to be able to get out. Now, I don't know if zoologically that's correct. You know, if somebody says that's not really what happens in the wild, it makes for a great story. And it also is a great segue into our topic today of how do we lovingly toughen up our kids for a life that's you need to be tough. And, you know, I mean, really, God calls us to to, to raise up our kids, not as wimps, you know, but as, uh, you know, spiritual giants and also people who are have some tough skin and they, they've, they're resourceful. So we. We brought in uh, Eric Schonsberg, great friend of mine, and uh, Eric, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Uh, because you, uh, you've experienced this in your own personal life, you know, how do we, uh, with you personally, and then raising your kids. So you've got four boys, uh, you're trying to raise, I love how you say it, you're trying to what? Raise a few good men. Raise a few good men. You got four, uh, you know, between you two, you got, we got, uh, we could do five yeah. on five basketball, you know, uh, with Chad six and... You're four. I think his would win. They're a little yeah. bit taller and a little bit older, but yeah. yes. My four could take your six, right? <laughs> I agree. <laughs> and you're, you're four. You got uh, two naturally born, you and Tanya. Yes, and, and two by adoption. We've got, they're ages 13 to 19, so we have four teenagers for 350 days. Mm. So pray, let, pray for us. Let's just wow. pray right now for them. <laughs> uh, and, and you're, uh, so, and they are, when you look at your kids, I, I, I jokingly just, uh, you and Tanya are really fair-skinned, and so you've got two that are just like you, and then you have two black kids, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I just, I, I look at your family, I go, that's a hoot, that's just, just an awesome hoot. It's a beautiful, beautiful family. Beautiful family. So, okay, so um, you also, let's, uh, you're a professor. What do you do? I teach economics at IU Southeast. 
You've been doing that for how long? 25 years. 20, you've been, really, 25 years. Yep. Uh, you've been a professor there, uh, 25 years. And you tell the story to all your graduate students. Well, actually, uh, undergrads more and, so. And, and you, yeah. you're, you're undergrad, too. Because I want to inspire them. The grad students don't need to hear this as much as the undergrads a lot of times because <laughs> we're a liberal admissions university and we take mostly all comers. Uh, and we let people, you know, sort themselves out if they've got the work ethic and want to put the time in. Uh, we, we want them to succeed, but a lot of them aren't there or they're, or they're coming back from failure and they're surprised to hear that after my third semester, I had flunked out of school for bad grades and they can't, you know, I think they have a hard time imagining that. And so got, I want got, that to be an encouragement to them. You, you flunked, after, after three semesters, you flunked out of school. Yes. They, they go, you're out of here. Seansburg, you're out of here. Yep. And that was the catalyst though to what? Well, I worked a, a semester at McDonald's full time, and then uh, figured out, uh, yeah, I figured out that was not what I wanted to do to do the rest of my life. I needed to learn how to study and and do college properly. So that's what I did, coming back and learned how to study for the first time in my life. I was smart enough to get that far, but not any further. Uh, and so I had to learn how to study. And then uh, you also tell the story about your first job. Yeah, the first job I got fired from, and. Um, is after the 30-day probationary period, and I swallowed my pride for five minutes and talked to the manager and tried to ask, you know, what, what happened? And she said, you were okay, but, you know, you were always like five to ten minutes late to work. I'm like, I'm thinking inside, yeah, so? Because <laughs> it never occurred to me that you couldn't, couldn't or even shouldn't be late. My mom was late everywhere, and so it just really never occurred to me. And it's one of the examples I, I talk about in class that those minimum wage jobs that are out there, those first jobs, they teach you stuff that are, you know, we call them uh, less skilled labor for a reason. It's they don't know how to deal with customers. They don't know how to show up on time. They don't know how to get there every day to work <laughs> the basics. That's why they're less skilled. And so that was the big thing I learned from that first job is you got to show up on time. You were how, how old were you when, you, six, when they 16, 16 years old. So you get you get fired from your first job. You flunk out of of college. And then you go, go uh, eventually go get your PhD yep. and uh, become a prof professor. And uh, I, 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 that's yeah, my parents had just divorced um, at that time, so it was a rough, you know, rough uh, sledding there for a while, losing jobs, parents divorced, dad's gone, and then uh, flunking out of college. So you know, it wasn't looking real good there for a while. <laughs> and 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 with all of that. I wanted to bring that up because that, that gives framework for how you want to raise your kids. Yeah. I think another part of it, I graduated from high school uh, just after I turned 16. And so I was uh, not only a nerd, but I was a young nerd. Uh, and so I didn't have a lot of friends in high school. And so that toughens you up too, is that, you know, I think you see a lot of, uh, a lot of our kids, they've, you know, we worry about peer pressure and uh, you worry about how, how people are going to respond to that. And, I, you know, I really didn't have a lot of peers. And so, uh, you know, there's different ways to go with that. But, you know, thankfully, you know, I went on the side of being comfortable with just a few friends and got through high school. But I think that was another thing that was toughening me up for the long run. So when you got when you got kicked out of college and you flunked out, you, you, you worked for a semester or a whole year? Oh, semester full time because I was out for a semester. You're out for a semester. And then you, you go, I, I have got to get my act together here. Right. Um, what else is going on in your head? Uh, probably not much. Uh, <laughs> a lot of video games, um, that kind of stuff. I mean, the typical teenage stuff. I mean, I was active in church and working. At that point, um, I was having to work my way through school because uh, my, my parents had divorced. They had little or no net wealth and or worth. And so 
I was having to, I was staying at home, but I had to pay my way through school at that point. And so, you know, it was, um, you know, you work on time management. I'm, you know, active in my church and I'm working 25, 30 hours a week and, you know, majoring in math and economics and, and ha- learning to, stu- to study for the first time in my life. And so it was a busy, it was a great time, busy time, but uh, those were formative years for me. That's awesome. And so, okay, so you, uh, with that, with that experience and, and what you share with, at, with your most classes that you share, you, how you flunked out and how you, uh, you know, got fired from your first job, mm-hmm. that, that really has really moved you and Tanya to say, how do we toughen up our kids? Yeah, I think that's, uh, you know, we want them to be tender and tough. And uh, we're trying to raise four young men. We want them to be uh, heroes, not necessarily of a, uh, you know, superhero or, um, you know, you're going to write a a TV series about them, but we want them to be heroes. We want them to to, uh, be faithful and persevere and fight through difficulties and you know, we're not a persevering culture. We're not a persevering people, even in the church. We give up on marriage. We give up on jobs. We give up on all sorts of things. We quit. And uh, we don't want to raise four quitters. We want to raise, uh, you know, godly young men who can uh, stick through d- the difficult times that will come. Uh, I've heard you say over the years, you, you feel like we have, we've created a culture that is soft. Talk about that. Yeah, I don't know the reasons for it. I mean, it, it could be, you know, the, the prevalence of single parent households. Tanya and I were talking about how difficult it is to raise teenagers and it's the two of us. We feel like we're, you know, sometimes we're just hanging on and we're far from perfect parents. Uh, and we, sometimes we have no idea what we're doing, but there's two of us. And then, so what, what do you do if you're a single parent? And I was raised by a single mom and I, I don't, I mean, sometimes you just hang on or you just put up with stuff or you just let it go. So I think that's part of it. I think the materialism and, you know, we're generally wealthier than we were. And so I think there's some softness that goes with that. You know, we don't do manual labor, you know, we're on computers. There's, you know, a bunch of stuff I think that fits into us just being, you know, generally softer. Yeah, the, the agrarian culture that was 100 years ago, uh, where everybody was doing manual labor, working physically, for the most part, in, in, at least at some level. I mean, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't escalators and elevators and, you know, I mean, it, you walked and you... Um, Even the physical labor, I mean, we got you know, better mowers than we had. We have equipment and we have, you know, instead of just go dig a ditch, you got a nice tool to help you with it. So those are all wonderful things, but, you know, by themselves, they're going to soften you. You're not working as hard on the ground or in, in various contexts. Wow. Well, we're going to take a break and we're going to come back. And there's actually a story that helped lead into this conversation that got Eric in here today about one of his sons. And uh, it's a story that I hope that I can repeat in some capacity about the toughness and the grit that my kids would, would show one day. So we're going to take a break. We'll be back shortly on Solid Steps Radio. Welcome back to our second segment of Solid Steps Radio. I'm Chad Russell. That's Kurt Souter of Further Still Ministries. And we are with Eric Schonsberg today talking about how to, developing, how to develop tough kids, also tender and tough kids. How do you do that in a loving way? You can be harsh to your kids and they may end up being tough, but how do you do it in a way that will help them to be tender and tough? And if you've got some carpet around your house that's looking pretty tough, you need to go to Carol Rogers, Carpet One. 
They can take care of that and all your flooring needs as well as LNN Credit Union and Bright Star Home Care if you know anyone who needs to make the transition from living uh, on their own to living with support and they want to stay in their homes and not have to go into a nursing home or assisted facility, Bright Star helps you do that. So, you know, Chad, we, uh, I, I think there's a verse that really just kind of overflows. It gives us the theme. It's what Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. Uh, Timothy was a young church leader. He says, but you, Timothy, you set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. You know, Timothy, I want you to be, have, have some grit, have some toughness. And so, Eric, you got a, a, a story about your number three uh, child, Joseph. Talk to us about uh, Joseph. Yeah, so Joseph, I think, has uh, been gifted with a, a, a pretty good mix of tough and tender already. I mean, I, th- I think one interesting question is that our kids uh, are given certain things by God, and then what do we do with that? You know, do we build their gifts? If they have weaknesses, how much do we, you know, uh, encourage them to avoid those things, or do we strengthen them? If a kid's an introvert, you don't want them to stay that way. You want them to at least become comfortable with people, for example. But Joseph is tough and tender. Uh, we, I think uh, to some extent, naturally, uh, the tender part. He's always loved to be held and loves having his hair played with. Even and, even as a, a, like a little infant. kid, little yeah. kid. Like Brennan, our number two. I mean, he he would not go to sleep unless you put him down. He did not want to be held. But Joseph just loved being held. Loved being cuddled and wrestled with, and he's loved that more than any of our kids and just cuddled more than any of our kids. But then we got him into wrestling. And uh, when he was, I think, first, second grade, did that for six years. And that's a tough sport. I mean, it's it's rugged. I remember going to some tournaments and, and the, you'd see women wearing t-shirts saying, you can't hurt me because I've seen my boy wrestle. You know, because it's just, <laughs> man, it's rough. And um, he'd have, he has his crazy hair and he put his headgear on, the hair's poking everywhere. And they nicknamed him the animal. <laughs> Because he was just this, you know, just ferocious out there. And so he always struck me as this, this very interesting combination of tender. He'd cuddle with you, but you get him on the mat, and he's a tough son of a gun, and hair's flying everywhere, and, you know, wrestle, wrestle you to death. So, um, but there was a, a key story. In, in sixth grade, he also uh, runs track. He's very fast. And uh, for the deanery team, he was running the 100 and the 200-meter dash and then the relays. And uh, this was in sixth grade. He, um, I think a couple weeks in, he started complaining about his knee hurting. We're like, okay, you know, and you know, pushed through it. And then he complained more and maybe sat out a meet or something. And, um, but we took him to the doctor and this was the week of the finals, uh, the final meet where, that counts for everything when they award every, you know, everyone. And the doctor tells us he's got a benign tumor. Uh, I think it was behind his kneecap or something. We're like, whoa, okay. Um, and this was after Brennan had has his tumor, which is a, a different story that was much more serious. But we're like, okay, what? You know, and of course the doctor's very conservative. You know, oh, you know, just, just you know, lay in a hammock for four weeks or something. We're like, <laughs> okay. And and I'm thinking, man, we got the finals coming up. You know, so what do we do? You know, what? I mean, he's going to run the hundred. He's going to run the hundred to two hundred. He's going to win, or yeah. we want him to win. And he's favored to win all these things. He's favored to win the one hundred, the two hundred. He's favored to lead. You know, he should be leading his team to victory. And uh, so it's about him, it's about the team, it's about all kinds of stuff. And, and the doctor, of course, is saying, don't do anything, but the doctor always says that. So, I'm, you know, and then we asked, well, will, will it cause any damage? And they're like, no, it won't really, you know, we don't think it'll damage anything. So I'm thinking, well, you know, what do we do? Well, at the same time, in the NBA playoffs, if you're an NBA fan, um, 
this was the same uh, same time frame where Kelly Olenek had ripped uh, Kevin Love's shoulders out of its socket uh, and and sidelined him for the entire series. It was a very controversial play. They were accusing Olenek of, of being dir- of, of playing dirty, but it knocked um, it knocked him out of the playoffs. Uh, Kevin Love, and then in the same uh, same time frame. Uh, Chris Paul was playing for the Clippers and had pulled his hamstring, and he was trying to gut through it. He, I think he missed game six. I forget the details, but he kind of bumped around and missed game six. But he comes back for game seven, and he missed like a quarter of it. But he, he gets in there, and he fights his way through it, and he actually hits the game-winning shot in game seven to knock out the Spurs. And so those two things are going on with, with, with Joseph's injury. And I, I sat him down and said, Joseph, look, I, can't, I don't know how badly you're hurt. I know what the doctors told me. Uh, I, I can't tell you if you're Kevin Love and you shouldn't be running, you know, your shoulders out of its socket. In essence, or are you Chris Paul? Are you? Are, is your injury where you've got a hamstring and you just should get in there and do the best you can? It's up to you. I can't tell you what to do. I can't tell you to to run in pain. You know, what do you want to do? And he he, he thinks about it and. Um, I'd like to say we prayed about it. I hope we did. Uh, it's been two and a half years now. But bottom line is he said, look, um, uh, I'm going to run the 100 meter and the 100 meter relay. And I'm not going to run the 200 meter because making the turn on the 200 meter is just really, really painful. So I'm not going to run the 200 meters, but I will run the 100 meter. He gets out there on that Sunday in the finals. He wins the 100 meter dash. He leads the, the team to the, the victory in the, in the relay. We go see the doctor the next week, the specialist, and the doctor says, well, it's not a benign tumor. I don't know what they were reading. It, he has a fractured kneecap. <laughs> we're like, whoa, okay. And of course, to his brothers, this was like the coolest news ever. He's like, you <laughs> you won the race on a broken knee, you know? And, and we were like celebrating this. And, you know, if we'd known it was fractured, we wouldn't have run him. But we didn't know, you know, the first set of doctors told us it was this other thing that wouldn't, you know, cause more damage. So... We get him out there. We encourage him to run. You know, I wasn't going to lord it over him. Hey, you got to get out there, son, and, you know, battle through anything. We gave him choice. We let him take ownership of the decision and ultimately decided, hey, I'm going to run these two races for me and the team. He was successful. And then we find out it's his fractured knee. And, you know, dude's running, winning races on a fracture, on a broken knee. I mean, it's a pretty cool story. And so, yeah, yeah. When, when you told me that story, I was like, wow, how do we, how do we take that story, that illustration, and and use it in all of our parenting? You know, because there's several things that you did that uh, you gave him ownership, and, and he had to choose. I mean, it was his choice. You couldn't determine how much pain he's in. I mean, he's got pain, but how much? You know, is it the Kevin Love or is it the Chris Paul? And uh, you know, but. Uh, I, I loved how he just gritted it through. And, and I, I think we've lost a lot of our grit in our culture today. And uh, you want to comment on that? Well, I just think we see it in marriage. We see people giving up all the time. We, we see people not persevering, being faithful until they get married. You know, they go for the instant gratification. And then once they are married, they, you know, they get out of stuff. Uh, they get out of marriage very quickly. Um, so that's that's a big one. But you know, people just give up. They, they, they church shop, you know, well, so-and-so offended me and I'm just going to quit. I'm not going to work on the relationship. I'm not going to have a tough conversation with somebody that's too difficult. I'm just going to move on and quit this, that, and the other. So, you know, I think the norm, the norm these days is often to quit. And if we're raising men, you don't raise quitters. I mean, there, there is a time to quit, 
there's a time when you've been Kevin loved, you know, and you're, it's time to leave your job. And once in a blue moon, maybe you leave a marriage, but we quit way too often in this, in this culture. So, okay. So how, how do we, how do we shift the, the gears? And, you know, we're talking about raising our kids and yours specifically, you got four boys. How, how do we do that with our kids? Talk, talk with me about uh, delayed gratification and uh, in the whole area of parenting with our kids. I think that helps. I mean, you, you know, if it's if you're into gratifi- immediate gratification, then you're going to be much more likely to you know quit one thing to move to another. Uh, I think one thing we've decided to do also is that if our kids sign up for something, let's say a soccer season, then we're not going to let them quit halfway through. You know, no, you you made a commitment. Yeah, but the the, co- the coach is a jerk, yeah. and and my teammates they never give me the ball, and you know, what do you do? Okay, you're right. Let's quit. You know, I mean, that's what we do sometimes. And, you know, to, we've made it clear to them, look, we'll support you in whatever you do. But if we sign up for this, we're in, you know, unless it goes really crazy sideways. And I, I don't know if we've even had that conversation with them. But at least Tanya and I have thought, well, you know, if it went really crazy and the guy was a creep or something, yeah, sure, we would quit. But it's got to go way off the reservation for us to for us to quit. And we tell the kids that, you know, we're it's not an option to quit. Hmm. Um. Talk with us a little bit about technology, uh, video games, TV, how all that can really lead to, instead of delayed gratification, it leads to a greater, you know, more self-absorption and we lose the grit. Again, we're just sitting there, you know, kind of a bump on a log and we're missing some opportunities that really could help our kids develop grit. Well, we've we've got a long way to go on that. Still, as parents, we don't feel like we've reached a, a good place there. Uh, uh, in any case, and it seems like we get it, and then it slips back, or we get it, and then they're on a two-week, you know, semester break, and then we, uh, and then they get busy, and then they're not on the computers and stuff. And it depends on the kid. I mean, our number four kid, Daniel, he, you know, he hardly plays at all. It's no, there's not much attraction. He's always outside on his bike or trying to sell you something. So he isn't that interested in that stuff, but. I think it depends on the kid. I think, you know, again, you're back to, it's not that video games are a problem or evil, but there needs to be some balance there. And, uh, you know, you know, good people are going to disagree on what that ought to be. Yeah, it's, it's a balance. We need to take a break, but we want to continue to talk about how do we help our kids do hard things, do the, do the tough stuff so that we develop grit and, and, and a toughness and yet still have a tender heart. So we're going to take a break, and we'll be back shortly on Solid Steps Radio. 